My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. We've got several that have already joined live with us, and I appreciate that. Uh, so we'll say good morning to those in just a second. Uh, if you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 11 this morning. So we're in the uh, next section of Mark 11, just three verses today, uh, 12, 13, and 14. So, uh, so it should be a, it's a short handout. If you got your handout, we're at uh, OurSundaySchool.com. Uh, you can go and grab today's handout. I would encourage you to both grab uh, today's handout and a copy of the whole Bible. Uh, if you got your uh, small copy of Mark, that's fantastic, but we'll be jumping around in a couple different spots this morning. And uh, I am, for one, just grateful that we have power at our house. Uh, the, uh, the light show that the Lord put on this morning about uh, 6.30 at our house was something special. Uh, and it was just a few minutes before my alarm was scheduled to go off. So uh, it, was a, it was a startling morning, and uh, we got to see the power flicker a lot here. Hopefully you are safe and dry. Uh, and as Dave Barber has already mentioned in the comments, that all the trees on your property are still standing. Uh, we don't have any trees on our property, so that's uh, one of the benefits of a uh, new neighborhood. So, um, All right, so Mark chapter 11, and uh, good morning to several folks. So let's see who all is here so far. We've got uh, Barry Cole in Cherokee. Is that what that is, Barry? Uh, that's what Google said it was, so... I'm going on faith here. So Jessica's got uh, room 211 this morning. I actually don't have any idea where room 211 is. I have like three different maps of the Hickson campus, some of the original schematics that we got from the Hickson Church of Christ uh, folks, and none of them show a room 211. So I have absolutely no idea where you guys are this morning, but I'm, I'm grateful you are dry and safe, and that is good. Uh, so she's got day with her there. Uh, the barbers are safe. I uh, see the Landers, uh, it looks like the Ayers and the Johnsons have joined in 211 as well. Uh, my screen keeps jumping all around on me here. I'm going to use my iPad. So we've got the, the Velosans, Chandelier's here. Hey, good morning. The Archers, good morning. Boy, is tomorrow going to be a cool day in y'all's family or what? I am excited about that. Um, let's see, Native American. <laughs> so Julia Gregg, hey, good morning, Julia. Uh, Cherokee, Barry says, yes, it's just down the hall from 206, which makes all kinds of sense, but it still doesn't show up on any map, so that's wonderful. Uh, by the fourth, or by the water fountain. Oh, got it. I know where that is. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. Uh, I have spent a lot of time in that room. Uh, and then you don't live through, yeah, we're going to get to the red shirt. Don't worry, Dave. Uh, I think. And if I don't, by the time I start asking for prayer requests, if I don't, start texting my phone. That'd be helpful. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 11 this morning. I'm excited about that. A couple of announcements uh, before we begin. Uh, so again, don't forget about the meal train for the Jonicas. Uh, we did a great job last week, and we've got uh, plenty of openings this week. So just a reminder about that. Uh, we'll post the link here in just a second. Uh, I will also tell you that uh, we are not, I repeat, not going to have a Sunday school next week on Easter Sunday. So we are, uh, there's no Sunday school at any of the in-person uh, campuses. And I talked to Brandenburg yesterday. He's actually going to skip next week as well. 
and uh, I need to use it to catch up on a couple of things for some future lessons. So no Sunday school next week, uh, but Lord willing, we'll be back on whatever the week after that is, April 11th, maybe, uh, with uh, the next section of Mark. So just a, a few reminders there. All right, so let's take a look at Mark chapter 11. We'll read through all of Mark chapter 11, and uh, we'll dig into verses 12, 13, and 14. So if you've got your Bibles, let's read Mark chapter 11. <clears throat> now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks in the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. 
And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Mark chapter 11. All right, good morning to a few more folks. I see the Janikas are here. Hey, fantastic, good deal. Uh, the Greggs, my friends in North Carolina, good morning, welcome. And Miss Miller, hey, good morning. So if you've uh, got your Bibles again, we're in Mark chapter 11. And uh, I want to take just a moment before we look at today's text word by word to look at the structure of Mark chapter 11. Uh, because I, <coughs> I believe it will help us quite a bit with our understanding of what Jesus might be referencing here. So if we look at Mark chapter 11, the first few verses are Jesus, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, and as many of you know, that this is Palm Sunday, uh, the Sunday when I would argue a shockingly large a number of churches across the world are studying the text of Mark chapter 11. Uh, we're just a week ahead, and that's okay. Uh, we're cool like that. But, uh, but this is Jesus' uh, entry into Jerusalem, his actually his last, uh, well, not his last, he enters in tomorrow. He's housed in uh, Bethany this week. Uh, but his, his last significant entry uh, due to a Passover. Um, and so we see, we saw the, all the hints and the head nods that Mark gave us that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy last week with uh, the, uh, the, the donkey that no one had ever sat on before, the coats uh, strewn in the road, uh, the Hosanna, the reference to Psalm 118.25. So all of these head nods, uh, but it wasn't enough for the Romans or the chief priests and the scribes to come and arrest him right there. But it was certainly enough when they looked back, when the disciples looked backward, they saw what he was actually doing. Uh, which again, I would argue is true in our lives as we look back on our lives and we begin to see glimpses and glimmers of what God actually was doing through all of these different circumstances. So then we come to Mark uh, 11, verses 12 through 14. And uh, this passage, believe it or not, is a really big stumbling block for a lot of folks uh, that Jesus would curse something. And so we'll, we'll talk today, if, you, if you're looking at your handout, uh, you know, we're introduced today to figs. We'll talk a lot about figs. Uh, we'll talk about hunger and biblical cursing. And how it is different than swearing. So we'll we'll talk about those things as we get uh, through the lesson. So we've got 12 through 14, he curses the fig tree. And then the next day, verse 15, he goes into the temple. So he had looked at the temple the evening that he comes into Jerusalem. And now he's going back to deal with the things that he saw. And then we come back to the fig tree in verses 20 through 25. And uh, this is where Peter actually speaks up and he says, hey, you know, that fig tree that you cursed, because we don't see the word cursed in verses 12 through 14. We see it later on in the text in verse um, uh, 21. So there's a lesson that Jesus teaches there, and then he goes back into Jerusalem. So the setting changes. So it's Jerusalem, fig tree, Jerusalem, fig tree, Jerusalem. And whenever you see this type of a structure in the Bible, where you start and you end with the same thing, and it's parallel, it's all, um, there's a math term called uh, palindrome where things are equal on either side. And if you, if you lay out Mark 11, it's equal on either side with uh, the cleansing of the temple in the middle. 
So if you, if you think about where this occurs and how Jesus orchestrates these actions to happen in a very specific way, it gives us a bit more context around what in the world is going on with this tree, right? So th- I, I, will, I will start this section, verses 12 through 14, by saying uh, this is not an excuse to sin when you're hangry, right? This is not what Jesus was doing. This is one of those situations where it's not about this, it's about something else. So I'll explain my shirt real quick. So in uh, science fiction, there's lots of different science fiction options out there. And uh, good morning, Ike is here. Sup, hello, hello. (laughs) I think somebody has Katie's phone. That's awesome. Um, Sorry, my, my monitor just blew up there all of a sudden with all the comments. That was fantastic. Uh, good morning, Ike. I am thrilled you are with us. I'm glad you're paying attention. That's a good thing. Uh, but in science fiction, there's a couple of different uh, stories. And uh, one of them is Star Trek. And Star Trek takes place a couple hundred years in the future. And there are uniforms for the quote-unquote good guys, the Federation. And uh, if you are wearing a blue uniform, that means you're associated with medical things. If you're wearing a a yellow, uh, kind of a gold uniform, that means you're associated with engineering, right? If you're wearing a red uniform, it means you're very early in your career and you're an ensign. And there's a history in Star Trek of when they get off of the ship and go to a planet and explore something, that if you happen to be wearing a red shirt, you don't always make it. And it's become a bit of a joke in this uh, series because whenever you see in one of the movies somebody wearing a red shirt, it's like, oh, they might not make it. Like that's a that's a head nod that this is probably going to happen over here. And and I will tell you that it's not about the shirt, right? It's about the story that's being told, and it's about the storyteller giving the audience a heads up about what might happen next. And I will tell you my ingoing assumption on Mark eleven twelve through fourteen is it's not about the figs. We'll talk about the figs. We'll see some neat things about figs, but it's not about the figs. It's about a larger story that the storyteller is telling. And Jesus is being exceedingly intentional here. And there are some beautiful things that we can learn from uh, this rather strange text. So let's take a look at uh, Mark 11, verse 12. So it says, On the following day, so this is the day after uh, he has gone into Jerusalem. This is the day after the... The palms have been laid out. This is the day after he has looked around at the temple. So on the following day when they came from Bethany, so again, just a couple of miles away, he was hungry. So let's talk about hungry for just a moment. Uh, Why was Jesus hungry? Jesus was hungry because Jesus was a man, right? Uh, Jesus was 100% God and Jesus was 100% man. And men get hungry. Women get hungry. It's part of what makes us human, right? Uh, We... I, I, I was reminded a few years ago about how frail the human body is when I had some surgeries and uh, came to the conclusion that uh, the fact that we have to eat three times a day and sleep for a third of our lives is just another bit of evidence that God's baked into how we operate, that he is God and we are not. Right? I am not self-sustaining. I am not self-sufficient. I have to sleep. I have to eat. Uh, the Father, the Spirit are not like that. 
But Jesus Christ, when he was here on the earth, he had to sleep, he had to eat. These were important things for him. So he was hungry. So he's, he's relating to us in our humanity. And we, we need a God who can relate to us in our humanity. Otherwise, he is not the atoning sacrifice for us. If Jesus was only God and not man, he would not be a substitution for man. We needed a man to substitute for man's sin. But we needed a God who could bear the weight of man's sin. And the only way you get this figured out is if Jesus is all God and all man. And I'm all right with that because it's a beautiful solution for us. So he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree. So let's talk and talk about fig trees for just a second. Uh, so some of the things that I'm always reminded of is how much, how much we get tipped off in the first couple of chapters of Genesis as to what's going to happen in the rest of the book. Um, so flip over to Genesis uh, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And this is something that I would argue almost everybody on this call today has read or heard read to them. So while you're flipping over there, Genesis chapter 3. So we've got, uh, hey, Miss Gilchrist, how are you doing? It's great to have you this morning. Praying for you guys multiple times a day. Love you so much. Um, let's see. Miss Hopper from Soggy Oak Ridge. It's Soggy Hicks in Tennessee too, Miss Hopper, I tell you. Uh, the Arnolds and then Ike nine times. Yes, wonderful. And Cheryl, hey, good morning, Cheryl. So in Genesis chapter 3, this is the fall. Uh, so this is, let's start with... Uh, so verse 6, so this is after they have uh, done, uh, so verse 6, let's start with verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was able to be desired to make one wise, uh, I didn't start with verse 6. Yes, I did. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. So they're aware of their sin. They understand something is wrong at this point, Right. They can see more. And they knew that they were naked. What a, what a first realization, right? This is the first thing they came to is that they were naked. And what did they do? And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They tried to cover up their nakedness. They tried to cover up this new knowledge. They tried to cover up their shame. But what did they use? They used a fig tree. They use the leaves from a fig tree. So um, interesting first start, right? And we know that the fig tree leaves were not sufficient. Like that was a non-sufficient covering. It did not supply the need that was demanded. So what does God do? God supplies, right? Uh, as he always does. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and he supplies... In verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So God took an animal, because that's where you get skins from, sorry. right? When you eat chicken fingers, it's, it's not the chicken's fingers. It's like a chicken had to die. Uh, made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, so something had to die. Something had to bleed as a result of sin. So we see this head nod to it that's going to happen over and over and over again in the Old Testament. 
And then obviously a precursor to what's going to happen to Jesus in the New Testament. And God clothed them. He didn't just make them the skins. He actually put them on. Because this is how completely unable to meet our own needs we are. We, humanity, looked and saw something that was convenient and said, that'll do. God said, that won't do, right? Blood is required to atone for sin. And God demonstrates that for us in Genesis chapter 3. So the first time we see figs in the Bible is as this insufficient thing that doesn't meet the need. Boy, that doesn't sound anything like Mark chapter 11, does it? So uh, a couple of other times that we see figs in the Bible. So Deuteronomy chapter 8. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. So this is, um, Deuteronomy is just the, the sermons of Moses. Deuteronomy 8, we're looking at verses 8 through 10. So Moses is describing uh, what the promised land will look like. And in verse 8, it says, A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Fig trees. This was one of the pros that Moses listed as a, it's going to be awesome. So if you've got a list of six, eight, ten things that you're going to describe to somebody about a country that you've never been to, what are you going to put on the list? You're not going to put on the list junk. You're going to put the best stuff on the list. Fig trees made the list. Pretty cool, right? Good. And then in 1 Kings chapter 4, so flip over to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 4, we're looking at um, verse 25. So this is uh, 1 Kings 4.25. So this is a description of the peace of the land of the rule of Solomon. This is what it was like, verse 25. And Judah and Israel lived in safety which if you've read the Old Testament is a phenomenal statement in and of itself, right? From Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. So every man under his vine, everybody had a vineyard. And every, everyone under his fig tree, everybody had fig trees. So this is this level of prosperity. There didn't seem to be in the verbiage of the day today, uh, wealth disparity, right? There, there might have been rich people, but everybody had enough. Everybody had vines and fig trees. So it was a sign of prosperity. Now, I've got one more uh, thing I want to read from you. So this is uh, uh, the Tyndale New Testament commentary. This is uh, Mark, obviously the commentary on Mark. Uh, this is Schnabel. Um, he is, so Schnabel is a, uh, a helpful writer for me in that he provides in a very concise way some, um, some structure, some perspective on the culture. Uh, and it's very helpful for me to be able to relay what he writes to you guys very succinctly. So I'll read to you what he wrote about the fig trees. 
so this is a deciduous tree that grows to a height of about 19 feet. This is not a tiny little thing, so I don't know what you had in your mind. The fig tree's a big tree. Uh, it sheds its leaves in November and sprouts new leaves in late March. So remember, this is the time of the Passover, right? This is the week before Passover. So we are, uh, or the week of Passover, sorry. So we are uh, just in this late March, early April time period, depending upon what year you think Jesus uh, died. Uh, it, so it sprouts new leaves in late March. And we know from the text that it had leaves on it, right? So this is consistent with the time period. It grows two types of figs. First, the early figs. These are the uh, pagin. It's in Hebrew. Uh, they develop from the green knobs on the old branches in March before the tree sprouts new leaves, ripening in late spring after the leaves have appeared and marginally, marginally edible in late March or early April. So you have these little knobby looking things that you can eat. You think of it more as a snack than a meal. Uh, not the greatest tasting thing in the world, but it'll do, right? It'll, it'll do. And then the second harvest, if you will, is the later mature summer figs, uh, tenaim, which grow on the new branches and which are harvested in August through October. So if you think about August through October, absolutely, totally, completely not the time that we are talking about in Mark's Gospel in chapter 11. This is months before that. So it's interesting uh, that we, if we know a little bit about agriculture and the calendar, we can reaffirm the veracity of the story Mark is telling. Like, yeah, that fits. This fits the timeline for what we're talking about right here. The, the uh, horticulture around Jesus was doing what it should have been doing at Passover. Cool. There's a reason. Bible's true. Real simple. Okay? So, two types of figs. The early, little, not as good, green buds, that kind of stuff. And then the late, mature, really good. You know, this is what you would uh, double down on and, and be, uh, be in good shape with. So, Back, we haven't gotten off page one of the handout yet, so it's page 360. So Jesus sees in the distance a fig tree in leaf. So in leaf. So what does that mean? Well, it means there's leaves on the fig tree. Right? And if you have leaves on the fig tree, the leaves are going to come in the same time these little green nub things are going to come in. So there, there should have been something on the tree, but there are specific words that Mark uses to describe that in English, we'll just gloss right over, but in Greek, they make a lot of sense. So we'll, we'll pause on those as we get to them. So this fig tree and leaf, he, Jesus, went to see if he could find, now this is an important word for the approach that I'm going to pitch today, see if he could find anything on it. This is the word for anything. It's not the word for fruit. It's not the word for figs. If he was looking for mature figs, Mark might have been tempted to say, and the Holy Spirit would have likely written the word for mature figs, sukon in Greek. It's not what he wrote. He was looking to find anything on it. And the bulk of the commentators that I have read would lean toward the direction of this generic word for anything would have been a really simple way to describe the early buds, the early green uh, buds that would have been on the tree, that should have been on the tree at this point. So there should have been something on this tree. So let's just keep that in mind. So he went out to see if he could find anything on it. 
When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. You're like, nothing but leaves. That's right. That's exactly right. And if you look at the word nothing, that's the, that's the, um, the typical word for nothing. And then the word but is but no leaves. So there's two negatives in this. So there's, is Mark is doubling down on the emphasis of there was nothing on this but leaves. And then he says the word gar, so this is assigning a reason. So here, here's why. Here's why there weren't figs on it, because it was not the season for figs. And we look at this and go, well, yeah, of course there shouldn't have been anything on it. No, 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 no. Back up. The word figs that Mark uses here for the season of figs is the second harvest figs. There shouldn't have been mature figs on it, but there should have been something on it. Jesus didn't expect it to be fully doing something that it wasn't time for, but he did expect it to be doing something that it was time for. And he didn't find anything on it. He didn't even find the buds on it. So he comes to a plant that, or he comes to a tree, sorry, in my head, I struggled to think about it being 19 feet tall. Uh, my, my, the mental image that I was given as a little boy was these were very small things. So when I read and study and I was like, oh, I'll see pictures of these, like, wow, it's, it's really big. I have to struggle against how I was taught early. So it was not the season for mature second harvest figs. Right. Absolutely. So verse 14, this might help explain why Jesus does what he does here. Otherwise, you think you just have an angry, hungry guy who spouts off and uses his powers for evil. Which is how if you read any commentary, <laughs> you're not going to believe this, but people who don't believe in the Bible write commentaries. They don't believe the Bible was true, and they write really in-depth academic commentaries explaining how things are wrong. And I'm like, it's just your assumption matters here. Uh, but people who don't believe the Bible write a lot of things about this particular story. And I would argue it's because they hadn't looked at the words. And that's a shame, right? So Jesus says, he responds. The, the word here for says is to respond to something. It's as if the someone had communicated to him and then he responds back saying, that's actually how I would, if I was translating this, I would say, um, and, and responding said to it, and then he, he gives the curse. And the some of the other comment again, the commentaries that don't believe the Bible, he's like, the fig tree didn't speak. Why would you respond to something that didn't speak? And my response to that would be the fig tree did speak, not out loud, but it spoke from the lack of fruit that was on it. You might be seeing where I'm going to go with this because there was a lack of fruit. It looked from a distance fine. But when you got up close to inspect it, there was nothing that would satisfy. Remember Mark eleven eleven. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. When he got up close to the temple and he looked around to inspect it, there was nothing that would satisfy. So Jesus pronounces a curse on this tree. And this is what he says. May no 
uh, one ever. And then the ESV actually omits a couple of words that are present in the original. Uh, basically, the, the words mean uh, to the age. And you could translate this in English, and some of the English translations have it. said, may no one ever until this age ends eat fruit from you again. And like that's, a, that's pretty serious, right? <laughs> uh, and then the phrase that Mark puts in, and his disciples heard it. So let's look at a couple of these words real quick. And I want to talk for just a moment about cursing and swearing. Uh, most of you may not have ever thought that there was a difference between cursing and swearing. There is. In the Bible, cursing, the word that Peter uses later in verse 21, uh, it means to wish evil on or to pronounce a curse upon. And that's what Jesus does right here. He pronounces a curse on this tree. And we see later on that Jesus absolutely, uh, his his ability to destroy something is just as powerful as his ability to uh, give life to something. Now, this is a, a interesting miracle that Jesus performs here. And it is a miracle because I don't know that you've ever walked up to a tree and said, uh, you're never going to bear fruit again. And then it withers up. But I'm going to bet a nickel you haven't done that. So this is a miracle. Uh, most of the commentators say this is Jesus' only destructive miracle. Uh, this is the only time that he uses his power to directly destroy something. And you might be thinking, well, what about the, what about the herd of swine, right, that the demons went into? Well, yes, the demons did go into the herd of swine. But that was after the miracle. And they ran off the ledge and, you know, insert Gary's awful jokes here. Uh, this wasn't the intent of the miracle to destroy the pigs. The intent of this miracle is to uh, stunt this plant so that it withers away and does not produce fruit anymore, and it didn't. Right. So uh, a couple of things here. There are several verses that we'll look at when we get to verse 21, uh, talking about cursing specifically. But uh, I just want to show you the Greek for just a second. So when Jesus says, "May no one ever, uh, may no one ever eat," this word "eat" is in the optative tense. Uh, so you, you've heard me talk about the subjunctive many times. So this is the, the mood of possibility. Optative is even re more remote than that. Uh, so when you use the optative, it's almost like you're saying you wish something to happen. So uh, most of us would use the optative and say, I wish to win the lottery. Cool. All right. That's a remote possibility. It's very, very remote. It's not likely. So when Jesus says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, what he is saying here is the possibility of this occurring is shockingly small. And we see when they come back the next day, the things withered away, done, right? And then his disciples heard it. And this word is the imperfect. So it's continually happened in repeatedly happening in the past time. So they, they heard this. They rolled it over again and again. So we're coming to the end of our time this morning. You thought it was going to be a short lesson just because the handout was three pages. Wrong. So what's the point? All right, so let's not miss some of the big obvious points in this text. Uh, point Application number one, Jesus was a man, right? He got hungry. He was a man. Uh, so what do we do with that? Well, uh, personalization number one, worship and adore the only flawless man, right? 
I would argue here that this is not an example of Jesus being hot-headed and flying off the handle and saying something he later regretted. This is an example of our perfect king perfectly executing judgment where it needed to be executed. It's a, it's a bit of a hat tip to what's going to happen later in a judging space, right? So application number two, uh, it's not about figs. It's an object lesson. <laughs> so application number two, it's not about figs. It's an object lesson. lesson. So what do we do with that? Well, when the words don't make sense, look at the context. And the context of Mark 11 helps us understand what Jesus is doing with cursing this fig tree. Because it's not about the figs. It's about Israel's lacking fruit. It's about the lack of fruit in the temple. It's about the lack of fruit from the religious leaders. They looked fine. Everything looks good. And when you get close, you would expect to see something of value. But when Jesus inspected it the night before, there was nothing there. He is taking this opportunity to teach his disciples about what we do when the thing that looks like one thing actually turns out to be something else. By their fruit you will know them. So the opposite seems like it would hold. If they have no fruit, there you go. So application number three, Jesus' judgment is righteous. So I'm going to plant my flag firmly on the opposite side of the fence from anybody who looks at this and says Jesus was wrong. I will say this is a flawless example of Jesus' righteousness shining through because only he can judge righteously all the time. We have several judges in our church, and uh, while they have never confessed this to me, I guarantee you they have made mistakes judging because they're human beings, right? But only Jesus is the true judge who righteously judges every single time. See, the all leaves no fruit. This is not something that should endure. This is something that needs to be dealt with. And Jesus does. And we'll see in the lesson, Lord willing, two weeks from now, how he deals with the temple the same type of way. So what do we do with that? When we see Jesus' judgment is righteous, I would say we should be warned. We should be inspecting, is the fruit in my life appropriate for where I am in my development? So if you are a brand new believer, I would not expect you to have fruit just dropping off the limbs, right? You're still growing. You're developing. You got to get the leaves right. You got to get these early buds right. There's a process here. But if we are mature believers, there should be mature fruit. It should not be only leaves. So probably a bit of a heavier lesson today than you might be expecting with uh, Mark 11, 12, 13, and 14, but a heavy text, uh, a heavy text. So a few reminders. 
Uh, don't forget about the meal train for the Jonicas. Uh, we'll post a link here in a minute for that. Uh, again, I think there are sign-up spots, a lot of sign-up spots this week for that, so please lean in and engage. Uh, no Sunday school next week. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be back on the 11th of April. So uh, soak on Easter next week with your family. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, I heard a fantastic description of Mark's gospel this past week. Uh, Dr. Uh, Ashford. Ashford, is that his name? I think. Uh, he gave a, a chapel speech, chapel sermon at uh, Southern Seminary this week. Fantastic sermon. It was actually about uh, the text that we studied last week. And uh, he talked about how Mark's gospel is a passion narrative with a long introduction. So Mark 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 basically all happen in a week. And Mark 1 through 10 happen over three years. And he said the 1 through 10 is the introduction for this slow, wonderful look at the Passion Week. And I said, that was pretty cool. I like that. Uh, so no Sunday school next week. Our prayer time. So if you've got uh, prayer requests, we would love for you to write those in the comments here. Uh, lean in, engage, pray for somebody not with you. Uh, and then... Go to a campus, a Facebook page, a YouTube, or the website today for worship and worship this one who flawlessly, 100% of the time, executes judgment righteously. Who, through his judgment, we can be assured that he will judge righteously. He will not change. He will not alter. He will not adjust the rules of the game. He has said in his gospel, that repentance and faith are what he calls us to. So let's repent. Let's have faith in the only one that can save. And I pray that you and your family have a wonderful Easter next week. Love you guys and I miss you. And Lord willing, I'll see you in two weeks. Thanks. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.